for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Hello. Welcome to Marshmallow, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Better late than never? Uh? <laughs> is that the name of the show? Oh, your microphone is hot. Oh, oh, a little spicy. Kyle yelling. He's all fired up for the Grey Cup. He's uh, screaming in the mic. better? Ah, uh, that should be better. Who knows? Okay. We'll, we'll find out in post. Uh, thanks for being here with <laughs> us. As always, everybody, at Marshmallow is where you can find us. At Kyle underscore Mellow underscore. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. Lots of underscores to go around, but none in at cf perspective of course canadian football perspective and also none of them in at merit brewing which is where we're going to be coming up on gray cup sunday we are throwing uh, essentially the canadian football perspective christmas party flash <laughs> uh which i didn't when i created cfp i didn't realize that it was my responsibility to schedule a christmas party for my employees but hey here we are <laughs> Uh, so I decided to do that with the Grey Cup tailgate party that we are throwing 1 to 3 p.m. It will be at Merritt Brewing in downtown Hamilton coming up on Sunday. We hope that you can be there and join us. Only 75 people, I believe, is capacity uh, for this one because of the size of the brewery itself, because of the restrictions. Uh, in a normal time, we would jam this thing full with hundreds and hundreds of people, hopefully. But uh, on Grey Cup Sunday, if you're in there, it's going to be a great fun setting. We're going to have trivia. We're going to have giveaways and CFP swag, and we're going to have some fun and great, great beer as well. I've had some of the Merit Brewing stuff that's uh, available on tap. They got a wide variety. And uh, if you want good quality beer to get yourself fired up for the Grey Cup, and the, the TSN stream is going to be on as well on the side of the wall with a projector. Uh, and I'm, we'll see whether or not they decide to pull up some of the audio of that. It might just be music, but either way, it's going to be a great cup party, and we're going to do it from 1 to 3 p.m. coming up at Merritt Brewing. I've heard from a bunch of people that they're coming down, so really looking forward to it, Kyle. I think we're going to have some fun. Yeah, CFP Christmas party, and you're all invited. Yes, exactly. Yeah, You're you're all on the inside of this tent uh, that you get to enjoy <laughs> yes. Christmas season with. It really is crazy, though, because when I was thinking about, you know, uh, December always sneaks up on you, obviously, for, yeah. for the reason of the holidays, but never more so than this year where I'm covering the Grey Cup until, you know, 11 days before Christmas. And so when I realized that we were throwing this Grey Cup tailgate, I'm like, I invited Connor and Wade and I said, hey, guys, like we got this event that we're doing at Merritt Brewing. We'd love if you come and hang out and be uh, be part of it with us. And and they said, well, you know, I have to get work off and all this stuff. I said, listen, it's our Christmas party. OK, it's the only way that I can thank you guys is by going to you <laughs> and saying, let me buy you a couple of beers and come and hang out in Hamilton and enjoy yourselves. So uh, we're looking forward to that again. Merritt Brewing, make sure you follow them on social media as well, because we're going to do our trivia actually through social media nice. on, on Sunday afternoon, not just in person. But the people that are in person will be the ones who are getting the prizing for winning uh, during the trivia. So make sure that you're following them on social at Merritt Brewing. I recorded yesterday on Thursday with Derek Taylor. We talked a lot about the Bombers. We talked a lot about them and a little bit of a preview in the Grey Cup. We're actually going to record our Grey Cup preview podcast coming up on Sunday before we have our event at Merritt Brewing. So today, I just wanted to talk about whatever the hell that thing was on Sunday this past <laughs> week in the Eastern Final because I was there in person 
I was watching it from the stands. I've got stories. I've got opinions. I, I got all sorts of stuff that I've been sitting on here for four damn days before we've been able to record this podcast, Kyle. But your broad summary of what you saw in the Eastern final sounds like what? Yeah. So leading up to the game and, you know, writing the CFP uh, betting article, the line was plus one. So it was essentially a pick them. Yeah. Um, cats were plus one. I thought to myself, is this game going to replicate in any way any of the regular season games that didn't go Hamilton's way? Then I thought to myself and I said, I think the offensive line is now better than it's ever been in the regular season. Um, I think whether it was Jeremiah Masoli playing or Dane Evans playing, I thought the defense was strong enough that it could hold McLeod Bethel Thompson in the offense of Toronto. And I expected, expected Jeremiah Masoli's offense to improve just enough where the Ticats squeaked it out. Now, the way the game went, you start out going down 12, nothing for Hamilton. And I'm thinking this is, this isn't going well. And then Jeremiah turns the ball over and I'm, I put on Twitter for as unfair as it was to Dane Evans to finally throw him in there, dude answered the bell. And after he came in, he was, I thought, sensational. Um, So now for, you know, the Ticats, you lean on that um, going into the great cup, but for, for, for Dane Evans, I think he proved once again that he is the future of the Ticats, but the future is now. And he is the current quarterback of the Ticats uh, going into this game. But his performance against the Argos, um, I was actually messaging back and forth with his father uh, on Twitter after the game. And I said, you should be very proud because as a lifelong Hamiltonian, I can't remember a better quarterback performance. I really can't. The yeah. circumstances, yeah. him coming in, you know, Bringing the team back, not only bringing the team back, the game really wasn't close at the end. No. (laughs) And he was, I thought, you know, remarkable in the game. Yeah. And I think the thing that people jumped on was the completion percentage, right? And the, and the fact that he was being so accurate, so efficient, he was moving the ball and all of those things really do matter. But this was one of those performances for me with Dane in the Eastern final, where it was about more than target charts. It was about more than, Um, accuracy or completion percentage it was the vibe that he gave that whole game and I know that the TSN turning point in this one was very obviously Poppy White with the punt return touchdown like that was when it's like oh there's points on the board oh we've got momentum look we just did a fake field goal oh now we're actually throwing a touchdown to Acklin okay now it's 12 now we're up going into half okay it's like that was the actual tide being turned but I'm telling you like this was an interesting conversation I had with Natea Jay because I'm doing stuff with him on Great Cup Week here throughout with, with CFL.ca, where he said to me, do you think that if Jeremiah is in and they get that punt return touchdown, that the Ticats would have had the same result? And I said, honestly, no. And the reason that I say that is, and, and it's a fair question by Natea, and we had a good conversation about yeah. it, but, but I said, I honestly don't think that Hamilton would have won the Eastern final with Jeremiah in looking the way that he did because there's a couple of moments that Dane made that it's not that Jeremiah couldn't have made them, but it's the fact that, that Dane made them and they are improbable. And so you lean towards, well, that was a play that he made that you might not have gotten from Jeremiah. And those mm-hmm. plays to me are obviously the strip like before half that saves you some yeah. points, which doesn't really end up mattering huge in the end, but it really did 
feel like, wow, Hamilton, like they're, they're living by the skin of their teeth here and they might just be able to squeak this one out. And of course it wasn't the squeaking by the end, but it, for him to be able to rip that football out unintentionally, like he said that he was running at Dexter McCoyle. He knew him from when he played at Tulsa and he said he's a big body and I was just trying to get a little bit of weight into him and I ran into him and when I bounced off the ball was just in front of me and I just kind of like reached at it and it just popped out because it was my hands were frozen like anybody who's at that game knows that anybody on the football field doesn't matter if your hands are in front of the heater if you spend two minutes on the field without the heater your hands are frozen so I, I, I totally understand why the ball came popping out but there was that play and then there was the throw to Banks which was actually his longest in the air attempt of the day for Dane Evans where he rolls away from, from the pressure in his own end, fades to the right, and sees Speedy. Speedy reacts, gets in with the scramble rules, runs towards the sideline, and Dane just, like, sidearm slink, bang, and just rips that thing down right on the money. Banks catches it, turns up, runs for an extra 15, 20 yards down the field. And again, it's like, it's not that Jeremiah couldn't make those plays. It's that Jeremiah, the way that he looked in the early part of that game, did not appear to be the type of quarterback that was going to make those plays. And I've always said that the knock on on Masoli is when he starts bad, he typically ends bad. Like there's not yeah. a lot of evolution in game. If he starts well, he ends well, usually. I mean, there's not a lot of games where he throws two interceptions and comes back and throws four touchdowns in the second half. That might exist out there. I can't remember one off the top of my head as somebody who's covered the team for every game from 26, 2015 until 2019, at the end of the season. So yeah, that's why when he, he looks a little shaky and they go to Dane and Dane gets in a rhythm, I'm like, it's over. Like Dane is Dane is in Dane's going to run with this thing. And he did. And I'm with you in terms of overall Ticats quarterback performances. Again, I'm sure there's been ones with bigger yardage. There's been ones. With oh, more, definitely. There's been ones with more touchdowns, but it, it was the moment. And it was his control of the situation. Like never was there a time, even when he took a sack or a pass got knocked down when he was trying to send it down the field. When Dane gets upset in a big moment, it's a, ah, shoot, dang it, and runs to the sideline and goes and regroups and comes back out. There's no lingering in the performance from drive to drive. He's just, he's so steady, and it feels like he gave them so much confidence. Yeah, and, you know, I think Dane Evans mentioned it post-game. And, you know, a couple of situations, look, you know, reality is reality. And, you know, the Ticats offensive line, they still have their struggles. I just think they're better off now than they were definitely at the beginning of the season Ooh, yeah. when he was in their starting games, right? What he win against the Alouettes. And again, that game wasn't really close uh, early on in the season, the Ticats first win of the year. Um, what he get sacked six times in the game um, and Hamilton was able to find a way to win. Um, you know, there were moments in that game against Toronto on Sunday where he scrambled and he tried to get out and he tried to make a play and he got tripped up after like three yards um, where he wasn't able to get a first down. And you can see the frustration on his face and he slams it. But Dane Evans's frustration is always with himself yep. because he's like, damn it, I could have got a first down there. It could have really helped our team. That's why he's upset at himself. So I'm with you when I feel the vibe was different. And I think the vibe is always different with him in the game um, because he has that mentality and he inspires the guys around him. Not to say that Jeremiah doesn't, but at some point your inspiration needs to speak through your play. Yeah. And Jeremiah just for me, the entire year just hasn't been able to do that. Um, so, you know, Dane Evans comes in and obviously the, the result turns out what it was. Don't let it be mistaken though. And I know I just said Dane Evans, I, I can't remember a better Ticats quarterback performance. Um, and maybe there is, and I have recency bias. Um, but the Ticats are going to the Great Cup because of their defense. Oh, yeah. That defensive line again. And again, 
I thought this season there were large stretches of the year, especially early on, where the defensive line really struggled. And I think they were putting pressure on, although Ted Laurent was kind of playing well. And then the middle of the season hit. And Ja'Gary Davis up this play, Dylan Wynn up this play, Julian Hauser up, up this play. I thought Ted Laurent kind of disappeared for a little bit. And I was like, oh, I'm not seeing the same Ted as I did early in the season. End of the season now, all those guys are rolling. Ted's back in it, Dylan Wynn, Ja'Gary Davis, Julian Hauser. And it's like, if that's going to, we, again, we'll talk on Sunday about the great cup. The Ticats are going to have to lean on those guys in order to get it done because, man, they got it done against Toronto. McLeod Bethel-Thompson just had no time to do anything. And when he did, the secondary, I thought, was phenomenal again. Again, another injury early in the game. Yeah. Sunday at Delicay. I know it's too late to vote for Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive, like, you know, player in the playoffs – Okay, I'll, I'll I'll sign up for that. Tunde Adelike is an unbelievable football player. I uh, I loved what, so I watched this game from the end zone of BMO towards the lake. I just stood yeah, don't on, watch in the press box. That press box at BMO sucks. Don't ever watch anything from a press box. You know my feelings <laughs> on this. Uh, so I I decided to watch it from the end zone towards Lake Ontario and. It's such a great spot to watch a game from at BMO. I've never watched a game basically as a fan from there uh, because I'm always working. I'm always up in the booth or calling the game, whatever. But I just, I stood on that concourse. You have a clear view and it's like watching the end cup version of the film where you're watching the line play. And you're really, honestly, Kyle, like, and I don't, I don't know if people in television know this, or I don't know if people in television care. The standard broadcast camera angle, you don't see anything. No. Like, what is the positive of having that camera angle? I guess you can see people whether or not they jumped offside, but that just leads to conspiracy theorists pausing when somebody has their foot half a <laughs> half a yeah. meter over the line and posting, that was offside, you should have called that back. So that, that angle doesn't show you anything. Where I was watching the game from, actually, you can see things happening and developing and the movement of the line and trapping and blocking and all these great things. So I'm standing up there watching and two things jumped out to me. One was um, the movement of that Tiger Cats defensive line pre-snap, like the shifting. And mm -hmm. there's just a lot of pre-snap stuff where the blocking assignments for that offensive line, they were trying to figure it out. But then I also realized, oh man, Desmond Lawrence got hurt. Okay, how are they going to fix this? And they come out for the next snap and I'm standing there at the end of the field and I go, Jamal Roll, field corner to boundary corner, Siante Evans, field half to field corner to replace Jamal Roll, who's replacing Desmond Lawrence. Tante Adelike from free safety to field half to replace Siante Evans, who's now playing field corner, who's replacing Jamal Roll, who's replacing Desmond Lawrence <laughs> at boundary. And Stavros Katsantonis in at free safety to replace Tunde Adelike, who was playing free safety. Now he's field half replacing Siante Evans, who's now at field corner, who's replacing Jamal Roll, who's now replacing Desmond Lawrence at boundary corner. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, as, as I'm staying up there on the concourse, I'm like, what the shit is this? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is crazy the way that they're trying to fix this issue. And you and I have always talked about the June Jones, like don't, don't make more than one switch when you have an injury. Right. And I, I've never ever seen an injury that led to a four position shift. I have never seen that before. And I don't know, like, I mean, obviously it paid off. They played well and the guys made plays wherever they were. I thought Jamal Roll yeah. did, a, did a really nice job in the boundary corner spot bouncing over there from the field because there's a lot more action typically at that boundary corner but it was like the Ticats were trying to play like six-dimensional chess while we were all playing checkers we're like oh they'll just swap one guy for one guy it'll be fine 
It's like, no, they had, they was very obvious. They had a plan and that plan included basically taking a Rubik's cube and just twisting it <laughs> and then just seeing where all the colors ended up. And it was like, well, I guess it, it played yeah. out. Okay. Mark Washington, if uh, there's ever, you know, a shakeup with an injury, you have guys on that defense um, that can move around. And if need be, you could put you Garrett Davis at Sam linebacker. <laughs> what the hell was that coverage? A dude that big should not be able to move like that and turn his head around at the perfect time and knock the ball down. So the, I posted a GIF on Monday morning of just a grizzly bear slapping aside a trash can because that's what that play looked like to me. It was just like this big booty Garrett Davis in space just like and just slapping aside the ball. But here's the craziest thing for me from like a, a real talk X's nose perspective. It's it's pretty rare to require. How do I how do I say this? This is, I mean, this play is so amazing for so many reasons. The first is that it's pretty rare in my experience to have a defensive end who's responsible for peeling, as it's typically called, if or for a for a running back. Like if yeah. a running back leaves and he's going to go run a route, it's pretty rare to have a defensive end that you give him that responsibility. It's even rarer when the running back is leaking out late for the defensive end who's responsible for that to recognize that he's responsible for that. Okay. So that's the first thing is the actual, like the scheme is like, it's pretty rare to have that spot. And it's even rare for them to realize and record. Cause usually they'll be half a step late and they'll be like, Oh, is that, Oh, I was supposed to have that guy. And then DJ Foster's walking into the end zone with the ball, just la- resting in his, in his chest. Then I look at the actual play itself and rightfully so you mentioned turning your head and making a play on the football. That was incredible. But the real thing that jumped out to me in this was the first step of Jagger Davis when he clearly realized what was happening, like, oh, bleep, DJ Foster's leaving the backfield. I now have to turn and run. If he takes that at a sharp angle where he doesn't get hip to hip with him on the first step, I don't care how fast he is. He's screwed because DJ Foster is fast, too. And obviously, McLeod yeah. under threw the ball. He should have put it towards the back of the end zone. We probably wouldn't be talking about this. But if you don't get hip to hip with DJ Foster so that you can try and run with him on that first step, when you're, you're running towards the line of scrimmage, he peels and you go, oh, his first step, if he doesn't nail that, this is a touchdown in my opinion. But he, he recognizes, then he reacts, and then he adapts. Like those three things. He recognizes, he reacts, and he adapts. Bang, bang, bang. And he did that in like half a second where he yeah. realized, oh, I got to cover this guy. I got to go this way. Oh, I better get hip to hip with him. Now I'm turning. Now I'm running. Now I'm knocking it down. I, <laughs> I, and I just, I, I'm with you. I was watching it from that end zone because that's the end zone that I was standing in at the concourse level. And I saw it happen as he peeled. And, you know, I've got my hood up because it's windy and it's snowy and I've got a mask on and all. The, and I just started chuckling to myself as I'm standing alone, like a total crazy person. I was just standing in the crowd, like Dr. Hibbert from the Simpsons going, ee! yeah, because I just couldn't believe I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, how is it possible that he made that play at that speed against that player? Yeah. It wasn't just the athleticism about the play. It was the smarts of the play. And you know, this, you know, if he's late in any way, like you said, he barrels over the running back and all of a sudden it's a pass interference call. Yeah. A legal contact down. Yeah, it's a it's first and goal from yeah. the one yard line. Yeah. Um, but Jagarid, like I said, was able to read it. He, I, I don't know if he read the running back's hands going up for the catch and he just turned at the perfect moment, and knocked the ball down. And I was like, that's an unbelievable play. That's a guy who's been in the great cup every year. He's been in the CFL. Yeah. And Tunde too. Like Tunde I can't, too, right. I the can't three in Calgary. T- and then, uh, yeah. tr- and then obviously in Hamilton. 
Yeah, he's. I think he did um, 17-18 Calgary, where his rookie year in Calgary, they lost to the Argos. His second year, they beat Ottawa. And then in 2019, he signs in free agency with Hamilton, and he goes to the Grey Cup, loses to Winnipeg, and now he's in his fourth Grey Cup after the COVID-canceled season. So five years, four seasons, four Grey Cup appearances. That's that's pretty spectacular. It's also great for your wallet. Like, like Tundig is getting the playoff bonus, and he's getting the Grey Cup appearance bonus every year what he's really going for is the winning the great cup bonus because that's a significant bonus for those guys uh that plays into all of this so it's a great prize and of course getting your name etched in history is awesome but like i actually thought when people were making a big deal but wow he's been on the on the all these successful teams i'm like that's actually good for your wallet too like that reinforce yeah. that reinforces if i'm Tunde, like you you make a lot of plays you become a stud player like this then yeah, you're going to get in successful situations and get a chance yeah. to play in Grey Cups, but you're also going to line your pockets a little bit more. And, uh, like, his play over the last, like, three weeks with the changes in position and him going to halfback repeatedly. By yeah. the way, shout-outs to, to Stavros Katantonis because yeah. that guy has been unbelievable as well. Credit to Drew Alamang for finding another one. I just said that. I was like, oh, he got another one. <laughs> another guy who's going to be a, a, a absolute baller on the back end for, you know, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But... You know, Tunde, it's like his play over the last, you know, month. Now he's not, he's not pigeonholed, right? Where it's like, oh, he's the most, uh, most athletic Canadian defensive back. So we're going to stick him at safety. Yeah. Oh, hell no. You can definitely put him at, you know, uh, at halfback. And that dude's physical as all hell. I put him at Sam linebacker and say, go get the running back. Cause that's, and he's such a great tackler. Um, just an unbelievable football player. Here's a, here's a question that I was thinking about uh, when I, on Monday I had to write an article on CFL.ca talking about who has the positional advantage for each of these teams. So, you know, yeah. defense, defensive backs, who has the advantage, linebackers, et cetera. And when it came to defensive backs, I thought, well, I mean, Brandon Alexander is a hammer. Like, he's going to come downhill and try to punish you. He gets mm-hmm. involved in the run game and all that. Tunde is, is a very multiple, varied skill set, free safety, who yeah, he can come down and get involved and be physical and all the rest. But for me, the most impressive part of him, and, and I, I think I really realized this, Kyle, in the Eastern semifinal against Montreal when they tried to go at him so much because Siante was that late scratch, is that he plays the ball in the air so much better than he has in other points in his career. And I say this as somebody who watched him a little bit at Carleton, scouted him a little bit in the CFL draft, um, you know, watched him obviously in his early days in Calgary when he came to Hamilton. Like there was a play in the Grey Cup in 2019 where he just balls up in the air, opportunity to make a play on it, and just botched it. And it's a it's a real skill. Like, do you remember when Jamal Roll, when you and I were still covering the Ticats on the Daily Beat, Jamal Roll was having trouble finding the football in the air as a boundary corner. Like when Delvin Bro was down and Roll was playing boundary corner. Yeah. And he and he just there was like two or three games in a row where teams were completing passes, just dropping in over his shoulder on fade balls, and he just couldn't find the ball. He just couldn't play it in the air. And Mark Washington pulled him aside several days in a row at practice. I remember one week, and got somebody to just half speed throw lob yeah. pa- lobbed passes over the top. I remember now. Yeah. yeah, and Mark Washington was the receiver, and Jamal Roll was the DB, and he was just trying to train his mind to be able to understand I'm running with you. I turn hand is here on hip, turn, jump, make play on ball. Okay. Rep it again here, hand on hip, turn, play, make ball. It was just like repetition, repetition, repetition. And Jamal got better at that. Like it turned yeah. it into a significantly better corner because they worked with him. I haven't been at practice. I got a feeling 
Hamilton did the same thing with Tunde, where they said one of the weaknesses, if you want to call it that, you're getting, listen, you're fast, you're physical, you're smart, you understand all these positions, but when the ball is in the air, can you actually make the play? And if you see the way that he almost had that game-ending interception that got called back on the review, have you ever seen somebody look more like a receiver in your life? Like over-the-shoulder catch, toe-tap, drag your back yeah. foot? That, that's not what he was even in 2019, 2018, 2017. He's added that to his skill set. And the reason this is important is that Zach Kalaros on second down loves to throw vertically. Like that's when he goes to work and challenges you. There's going to be a point in this Grey Cup where Zach Kalaros and the Bombers are going to throw it deep to either Rashid Bailey, Darvin Adams, or Kenny Lawler. And where Tunde Adelike is going to have a chance to make a play on the football in the air. And the question is, Will he? Yeah. Because if he does, it could be game changing. If he doesn't, it could be back breaking. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And it's crazy that we're even having a conversation on who has the better secondary uh, between the, the Bombers and the Ticats when I don't know the health of Desmond Lawrence going into the Grey Cup. Um, I don't know if he's, you know, ready to go. Um, I know Frankie is probably not going to play and not, you know, going to come out of the shadows and, you know, suit up for the Ticats. But if that's the case, we're having a conversation with easily the best defense this season in the Canadian Football League, their secondary, and a secondary in Hamilton that has two Canadians. Yeah. Not a lot of teams in the CFL can say they have two Canadians in their starting secondary. Oh. Um, and, you know, uh, has Stavros Katsantonis been, you know, super tested down the field in coverage and his decision-making on where to go um, with open receivers and stuff like that? Probably not. But maybe he doesn't have to. And again, you know, Winnipeg's offensive line is a different beast, but the defensive line for Hamilton getting after the quarterback so quickly, Stavros can just be back there and be the emergency guy and step up and make tackles and, and be the rover and, you know, play that way where he doesn't have to be a super coverage safety because there's not enough time for the other team to get receivers down the field because the Ticats defensive lines all over the quarterback. So I think that's another important factor in this as well. Yeah, no doubt. I just looking at the injury report as it came out from Wednesday's practices, which were open practices. Thursday's practice during the Grey Cup is a closed practice, so no availability today. It actually said on the media schedule, any media member showing up at practice, which is closed on Thursday, will have their media credentials revoked immediately on site without appeal. <laughs> really? Like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> not going to practice then. Um, <laughs> but Desmond Lawrence is listed with a shoulder injury, did not participate on Wednesday. So, so does Tunde start a halfback in the Grey Cup? That I mean, we'll see what Thursday looks like in terms of what they report, but that that certainly makes me believe. Uh, by the way, Travis Vorncall as well, uh, the left tackle, his uh, full participant on Wednesday, he was a healthy scratch in the game in the Eastern Final against Toronto. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then the last one of interest here is Braylon Addison uh, with a hamstring was limited on Wednesday once again. So he's, he's involved, he's in the mix, but I, I wonder whether or not Tim White has made Braylon Addison, not that Tim White is better than Braylon Addison, but yeah. do you want to try to reincorporate Braylon Addison and get him into the rhythm and the flow of the offense in a gray cup? Or do you just want to say, you know what, man, this took longer than we thought. It sucks that you had this hamstring injury back in whatever it was week 14, 13 against Ottawa, but we need to we need to run this out with Tim White because he's he's going right now and he's elusive. Yeah, um, I think 
the better, the best tie cats team on the football field has Braylon Addison, um, there. Um, and then I think Tim White's in there as well. And again, you run into a situation. It's funny because at the beginning of the season, we talked about this, right? Not with Tim White, but with Devere Posey. We're like, there are so many slot backs in Hamilton. Where do all these guys play? Like not everybody can't be a slot back, right? Like you got, you know, Brandon Banks and you have, you know, Tim White. Let's say it was Devere Posey at the beginning of the season, Braylon Addison. And it's like uh, Jalen Acklin. And it's like uh, all these guys can be premier slot receivers and or. um, And then you have some guys that have emerged for Hamilton, you know, Dunbar. And I know Dunbar is probably frustrated at himself for that fumble um, in the the East Final against Toronto. Um, But Tim White has been very good. Um, the other white poppy white, obviously that big, you know, kick return for a touchdown. And that was something we always saw in Hamilton. Right. Uh, by the way, I just want to say on that, you know, punt return for a touchdown, shout out to Jeff Reinbold too, because I thought the blocking just on that play was remarkable. The Ticats had two people down the field, literally 15 yards down the field, singling up an Argos player that looked like he was drowning. Yeah. And he's like, I can't get out of this. I can't get out of this. And all of a sudden, Boris Beatty, don't call me Bidet, is trying to run down white. And it's like, that's not happening. <laughs> uh, I, I actually was so angry at myself on that return because I'm a special teams nerd and a special teams novice. Like, I don't, yeah. re- I don't understand the chaos. I have a little bit of understanding, but as a quarterback, you don't sit in those meetings. So I've never really received the education but I like to try and learn what's happening with special teams and so I always look for the double because it's it's the most um it's uh, I don't know how to say this other than to say like it 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 brings out the greatest amount of empathy in me to watch (laughs) one, one person get worked by two people on a football field because you're not going to get out of that and the job of the one the job of the one person is to let them eat you because now there's a numbers advantage. Like it's two on one. That's going to free up somebody from your coverage team to go down and to make the play. So that's fine. You're like, oh crap, I got doubled, whatever. This is how it's going to go. But I was locked. My eyes were locked on that double team block down the field the entire time. And I'm so far down the field. (laughs) But but I wasn't even looking at the return. The snap came up. I was looking at inside line play. I saw the double. I locked my eyes on the double. And then as I'm watching it, I'm just like, oh, there goes Poppy White. He ran past them. Like I was... (laughs) I wasn't even looking at, at where he was returning on all of this. I, I'll mention as well in the slotbacks thing that you you brought up there, Kyle. Um, I went back and wrote for CFL.ca today about week one when the Bombers played the Ticats and just how rusty everybody was. Oh, that's and, a completely different team for Hamilton. Yeah, 100%. But it was like, on top of being different personnel, like the people that you know and that you trust from the Ticats, like if I were to say to you, who are the players that, that you feel without a training camp, without preseason, you would feel the most ready to play football right away. For me, Brandon Revenberg would be pretty high on that list. Yeah. I saw Brandon Revenberg at media day on Thursday. And I said to him, dude, I watched week one of you guys against the bombers. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> and then I said, yeah, it was bad. eh? like it, it was really bad. And he goes, man, it hurt to watch. Because he said, that's not us at all. Kyle, it was crazy. When I went back and rewatched it this morning, that week one game, they're missing assignments. They're not communicating. There's guys whiffing right, left, and center. Nikola Kalinich looks like it's his first game ever in football pads. Like, he doesn't even look like he's comfortable running around. He looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. It, it was crazy how, uh, like, I don't feel bad saying this, how awful the tech gets played in that game. And I'm not making an excuse for them by saying, Hey, week one, they played awful. Winnipeg played great. And therefore Hamilton has a great chance in this great cup. I have no idea how this game's going to shake out. But what I'm saying is 
I don't think you can play any worse than Hamilton did in that one. Jeremiah throws two interceptions, no. right? And like, obviously he had the great touchdown pass in the opening drive to Jalen Acklin. But after that, he throws two bad interceptions. And I'm looking at their offensive and defensive line play. And I'm like, this is unrecognizable from the team that I've watched the last two weeks in the Eastern Division playoffs against Montreal yeah. and Toronto. So, and then the, the slot back thing that I brought up originally here, going back and watching week one, you talk about Tim White, Poppy White, and Stephen Dunbar, and all these names that we didn't know coming in. Do you realize that none of those guys played week one against Winnipeg? Yeah. It was the offensive shit. line, there's three new guys on the offensive yeah. line. The only two that are the same going into this great cut is Darius Sirocco and Brandon Revenberg. Trevon exactly. Tate started at left tackle. Kay Okafor started at right tackle because Van Zyl was hurt. Jesse Gibbon was at right guard. Now, it's not on Gibbon. He's still going to be the extra guy. Right. But Woodmancy's in there. He's doing a hell of a job. But, like, the, the slot backs that we thought were going to be the new guys that we would have to learn about them throughout the year was Jalen Marshall and Marcus Tucker. <laughs> Yes. Like I didn't even, I, when I, honest to God, when I saw this depth chart from four months ago of Marcus Tucker and Jalen Marshall, I thought, is this a depth chart from 2019? Like, cause I didn't, I didn't even remember them playing this year because as the season's gone on, you've seen the white guys step up and make their plays and you've seen Dunbar come in and do what he does. And which by the way, I warned you after the Eastern semifinal, and by the way, the white guys are not Caucasian. No, no, they're not. Uh, <laughs> well, you said, you I know, mean, the white guys are doing their yeah. thing, and it's like people well, I was gonna, get the wrong thing. I was going to call them the white brothers, but then that, <laughs> that gets confusing as well. I mean, I should just call them by their name. Tim White and Poppy White. I was being yes. lazy. I was being very lazy. Uh, uh, yeah, white brothers and company. Uh, but, yeah, I, remember after the Eastern semifinal, I told you that I had someone on the sideline who told me, yeah, Stephen Dunbar, don't play him in fantasy. He get, He got really, really cold. Like he was freezing in the Eastern semifinal against Montreal, yeah. which is why he had no catches on four targets. Um, the fumble that he had in the Eastern final that you're like, oh, you know, he must feel bad for that. I, I, I warned you. <laughs> it's like he, yeah. he doesn't do well with the cold. And it's you no, know, it's amazing to me. I was thinking about this in terms of roster construction. If you are a change that he's well, that's a cryo chamber. That's what I'm saying is like, if you are a CFL <laughs> talent evaluator, it's amazing to think that you have to build your roster for, can they stay healthy? Then their skills, then their speed, then their talent, then their ability to fit the culture of the team. Do they pick up the playbook well? Do they work well with those around them, all the rest? And like at the final check mark, it has to be if you're a receiver, can you catch in the cold? <laughs> and it's like, and hold on to the ball. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if, if you can, that's great. If you can't, are you good enough in the warm that you're worth signing anyways? And then when we get to the playoffs, we're just like, mm, you know what? Maybe let's not go to this guy this much. And hey, for for all we're saying, Dunbar might go off and have himself like just an amazing game. Like, who yeah. the hell knows? I'm not. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, that's that's the great thing about all of this is is not knowing how this is going to play out, uh, but appreciating kind of the journey the Ticats have been on because, like I say, that week one version of them, like throughout the season. I think we've we've kind of become numb to the idea of what the Tiger Cats look like because you've seen so much of them in weeks 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Eastern semifinal, Eastern final. I'm telling you right now, if you go back and you watch the first quarter of week one, you're I swear to God, you're going to just go, what the hell is this? That's, mm -hmm. not a, that's not a professional football team that's on the field in week one, which again, coming off of a COVID season and not having any ability to hit in training camp and not having preseason games, I don't know what else we were expecting, but like, because we hadn't had football in so long, I think we looked at that week one as anything is better than nothing. And it was in the moment. But now that yeah. we've actually had high caliber playoff football, you look at week one, you're like, that's gross. That is that is bad football. 
Yeah. And, you know, we talk about all the changes now in Hamilton compared to that week one team. Was it Stribling? Channing Stribling was playing uh, half. boundary half. Yep. Um, he's no longer uh, on the, you know, the active roster. And, you know, that matters. And now it's like, and I don't think Ted Laurent played in the, the opening no. game either. I think it was Eddie Wilson that played. And it's like, there's so many guys that, you know, didn't take part in that week one game. So you can't draw any correlation. Like, I mean, no. any, no. Um, a different quarterback going into this one. And it's like, you know, the Bombers were the best team in the CFL all season long. And, you know, I said on this show, um, actually, I don't even know if I said it on this show or it was uh, my conversation with Ben Grant. I said, the great thing about football is it's not a seven game series. You don't need to be the best team in the CFL when yeah. everything is over on Monday. And if we have to put out power rankings, our final power rankings, <laughs> I might have the Bombers as still the best team in the CFL. Totally. Here's a great thing for Hamilton. You don't need to be the best team. You just need to have more points at the end of the game than Winnipeg. That's a huge opportunity. And I also said, how crazy is it that Hamilton is going into this great cup? I don't want to say there's no pressure because that performance against Toronto hyped up the city again. Right. And the fact that there was a quarterback change. Hamilton's playing, I think, with house money here because they're not supposed to win this game. I know they're at home. But all the pressures on Winnipeg. Can Winnipeg close out their perfect season? Mm -hmm. Right? And I know it's not perfect in wins losses. Um, but for a large part of the season, nobody could stay even close. What was it? Six or seven straight double-digit wins? They've like, never trailed. That means something. I, I was looking up the score splits. Their offense has never taken a snap this year where they've been trailing by more than 15. <laughs> the entire year. They've taken over. Like This year in the CFL, there's been over 7,000 offensive snaps, give or take 7,600. And who took that snap? Was it McGuire? Uh, probably, yeah, against, right? against Montreal, <laughs> Montreal. So the actual yeah. score split is probably more like 10 points. That is not, yeah. uh, has been their norm. So yeah, I'm with you. Like for Hamilton, here's, here's what I'm really excited to see. And obviously, you know, we'll be all hyped up and we'll be having the beers and talking about this coming up on Sunday for Merritt Brewing. But I just want to mention this to, to kind of put it in people's minds right now that are either you have a great cup ticket or you're thinking about going to the great cup is I, I think this is a once in a lifetime experience and there's i know we have the great cup coming to hamilton in 2023 you don't know whether or not your team's going to be in it you don't know what the situation is going to be but i'll promise you this in 2023 even if miraculously hamilton plays in the great cup again at home which is improbable based on what we've seen in the past because i believe they're the first team to play in the home great cup since the 2013 riders who defeated hamilton yeah even if that ends up happening you will never have a situation that is so perfectly aligned where it's Dane Evans again against the team that beat him in his first Grey Cup appearance. You won't have the situation where Andrew Harris is public enemy number one because is Andrew Harris going to be playing in two years' time? I have absolutely no idea. He's a running yeah. back. They get the crap kicked out of them every single day. We've also been saying that for half a decade. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but it's just like I don't know if he's going to be there. So I don't know if you're going to have enemy number one. The crowd versus Andrew Harris I think is going to be the most fun part of just experiencing and soaking in this great cup. Obviously Arkell's halftime show stuff is great. And Dane getting a huge rising ovation when he takes the field for the first time in the first quarter is going to be fantastic. And, you know, the first touchdown when fireworks go off for Hamilton, I think that's going to look pretty cool. And there's going to be a lot of fun memories that are going to be made out of this, that I just feel like you might live a long, long time and not 
have have that feeling you might not have those interactions yeah. and to see it with your own eyes is it's something that you can only get once you and i kyle we lived that crazy snowy 2017 gray cup in person and we both left that stadium that night saying to each other we just watched something with our own eyes that we will never ever forget because of how insane it was yeah. how special how unique it was the snow it was uh, Shania Twain Shania Twain coming out with the Huskies. It was, it was our boy Declan cross getting a couple of two point conversions. It was Ooh, like, I was hyped. It was yeah. you getting a text from Stu Gotts or a message on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And I remember you being so hyped. Yeah, it was the whole thing was just crazy. Right. So, and it, I, I just, I want as many people as possible to experience that with that being said, God damn, why are the tickets so expensive for people? I know. I, <laughs> it is what it is, though, right? I know. And I'm not going to knock on this for a long time. I just want to mention, I had a friend who messaged me the other day, and he said, man, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm really fired up. I want to go to the Great Cup. I messaged a tick rep. The cheapest ticket they said they had for me was $439. I had a buddy that just purchased two <laughs> like, for 400 something. Like, what are we doing? Like, I know. If, but he if, said YOLO. <laughs> if, yeah, well, I agree. And that's that's what you rely on is yeah. the YOLO crowd. That you, He's a massive Ticats fan. Yeah, that the week of, you're relying on them. And I guess for me, the frustration on this, and I want to say this before the Great Cup, because after the Great Cup, everybody's living in the, the hungover haze of greatness of what a night that was. But moving forward on Great Cups, that's unacceptable, man. Like, I don't, I don't care what your price point is that you think is right. You know, what's the difference between 200 and 300 or 100 and 200, whatever. I'm just saying, like, I've got, I've got a kid now and i want my kid to be able to experience things growing up and i want him to be able to go to things with his friends and like when the gray cup is in hamilton in 20 years if we're adjusting for inflation and things of like that is the gray cup ticket going to be 600 dollars for basic just get in maybe a thousand the way inflation is going well i mean it's just like and i'm not a, i'm not a an economics or a mathematic expert but i'm just saying if you want this league to not only survive but thrive and to get younger and more exciting yeah. There's there's not a lot of young people sitting around with $439 waiting to just blow it. Like yeah. for for a lot of people the age demographic the CFL wants to target, that's the month's rent. Like you you can't be t asking a kid, "Hey, do you want to pay for your rent in your student house this week or do you want to go see the the Grey Cup in person?" Like it's I understand it's a money maker and all the rest. I I get the dynamic behind it. I just want everybody to enjoy our national celebration in a way where it doesn't feel so insane because when i saw that number i just thought who the hell's paying that who's paying that on short notice and the people who are paying it are not the crowd that the cfl is hoping to develop over the next 10 15 years yeah and you know it's a shame because if you are you know a 22 or 23 year old person and you want to go to the great cup and you're like ooh, you know uh dad do you want to go to the great cup with me if that dad is a massive cfl fan that dad's gonna buy tickets for himself right <laughs> Um, and he might buy two, but he might take his buddy with him. Like, this is the problem that I have, right? It's like, not only you're deciding on whether or not you can afford the great cup, how many people are you taking? How many tickets are you buying? You know, husband and wife at $400 a pop. Okay. This is a thousand dollar trip in my, his, in my city. That's crazy. Right? Like even in Toronto, even if you're from, you know, the, the city of Toronto, if you spend a weekend in a hotel, you ain't spending a thousand dollars. No, it, it is. It is crazy. Yeah. So I, I just, anyways, I had to get that off my chest and hope that's better. The other thing that dealing with the stadium experience and going, um, I saw, I remember after the Eastern semifinal, when I said, I tried to get a small cup of coffee and it took me about a quarter and a half. Oh yeah. Is BMO um, better? 
Uh, no, 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 BMO. I did, I did the exact same thing at halftime. I went to go get a cup of Joe. And when I did, uh, I went to a bathroom where the line was, was weaving so long through the concourse that you didn't know where the food line started and where the men's bathroom line began. And then you get into the bathroom and you quickly can diagnose the issue. Five urinals. Yeah, how do you trough they like how, to have at the ralph <laughs> well there was a guy that came out of that bathroom who was chanting we need a trough we need a <laughs> <Yes>. trough. Um, <laughs> but, that guy knows <laughs> yeah exactly he's been to a bills game or two but yes. i was like how do you invite twenty thousand people to your stadium and then have your bathrooms with five urinals yeah how is that a thing like you want people to buy all of the beer and all the concessions and then you're going to give them five urinals uh so anyways that was uh that was a bit of a disaster but to be honest, it was it was a great crowd. Despite what happened at the end of the game, everybody was chipper. It was uh, it was totally a fun environment to be around, and uh, there was the typical chirping back and forth between Ticats and Argos fans. But it was uh, it was a really loud, rambunctious. I, I know that people in Toronto, I think, that are true Argos fans, are sometimes a little bit embarrassed by the fact that Hamilton invades, like when the Ticats play there. I actually think that the best version of BMO Field is a 50-50 crowd. Like, cause you don't get that in many, even when it's Labor Day, you don't always get the 50-50 split. Labor Day rematch, whether it be the Banjo Bowl, Calgary, Saskatchewan, uh, or sorry, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg. You don't, you don't get that where it's, it's like really, truly 50-50 and both sides are really passionate. Mm -hmm. That's really unique to the rivalry of the Ticats and the Argos. So it was, it was such a cool environment to be in and it only gets crazier coming up this Sunday. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the. I don't know if you want to talk about it, the crap that happened after the game with Tigers fans. I got to do a radio hit, so I don't think we have time to talk about it. But okay, it's, yeah, okay, it's, so let's wrap up the show. Yeah, um, maybe it? on Sunday we'll talk about it. I think that okay. might be interesting. Two, uh, it's uh, two twelve uh, in the afternoon uh, of us recording uh, this show. What, what's the date today? Thursday, December 9th. Yeah, I Kyle Mello want to declare. <laughs> The U is back. Mario Cristobal, uh, let's go. <laughs> yeah, best available Cuban. They got the best available Cuban off the By board. the way, <laughs> the last two, three days, I've been listening to the Dan Levitard podcast, and all they're talking about is, was Manny Diaz, like, screwed over by the university? I'm just like, Mario's the guy. Yeah, I mean. He wanted hey, the job. <laughs> when, you, when you can get rid of a Manny and bring in a Mario, it's peak Miami, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that is exactly what you need in that spot. So uh, we do want to remind you one more time here before we wrap up for today. We are doing a Great Cup preview podcast. It will be out Sunday at 1 p.m. sharp. We're recording it at noon at Merritt Brewing. And uh, then we're going to host our event from 1 to 3 p.m. down there. We hope to see you come out, have some fun with us. And uh, as always, thank you to our good friends at Fox 40 and at Sawdust City Beer. Sam Corbet is going to be on the scene coming up on Sunday, hanging out with us at Merritt Brewing, having some beers and enjoying all the Great Cup festivities. So we're really looking forward to sharing all of that with all of you. Follow us on social media at CF Perspective, at Kyle underscore Mellow underscore, and I'm at TSN underscore Barsh. For now, have yourselves a wonderful and safe Grey Cup Festival. We will talk to you coming up on Sunday afternoon. Between now and then, have fun, everybody.